0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. What's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now.
2: What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May third. Rated PG thirteen. The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan and Steve Peters. Welcome into to episode 287 of the Natural Trick Podcast. I'm Luke Lipinski, alongside Craig Morgan, the daddy Hattie, and Steve Peter.
1: Wow. Seriously? <laughs> wow. I, again, I, I, we say it every week. I don't know where to go with that, and that might be the worst open in the 287 <laughs> shows. Although I my learned.
2: head cold, Natty Hattie. Wow. Impressive. I'm going to get somebody together to rank, like one of those blogs that just ranks... Everything rank all 287 of our opens, and uh, and this one for Craig's got to be towards the bottom. He's, he's a mess, he's absolute mess. Uh, he is.
0: You ever do you remember uh, Dan Aykroyd in trading places when he was dressed at Santa? Yes, and, uh, he showed up at the apartment with Jamie Lee Curtis and she's almost Santa. He went,
2: That's basically how I feel right now. You're not gonna pull a fish out of your beard, are you? <laughs> no, okay, good.
1: Sorry, Craig. It's uh, hard to be under the weather when it's 110.
2: That's
0: yeah. It's tough. Arizona Colts. Yeah. There's no I get weather sick weather in, the in the summer. Weather. That's when I get sick. I don't know what it is, but.
2: Probably yeah. because you have 9,000 coyote stories to cover in the middle of the summer when it's supposed to be the off season. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Enjoy your. By the way, Craig, I've got a delicious uh, coffee right here. I just wanted to wave it in front of everybody's it's face. Very I'll bring you football. one next
1: time. I'm <laughs> just going club soda.
2: Oh. Craig's got that I would assume is either purified water or tequila. I'm drinking water, lots of water, lots of lots fluids, of, lots of tequila. Uh, let's start with the Coyotes. We in the time since we did the show last, which really wasn't that long ago, considering it's the off season, uh, a lot of craziness, which was somewhat anticipated. But now it's like this roster is, uh, they're going to need to have like one of those like getting to know you group sessions when the season starts where they're like, hi, my name is. Clayton Keller and I play wing, and then somebody else stands up and like, what's one thing about you, Clayton? Hi, my name is so and so. like this, this entire lineup is is completely a revamp. I want to start a net, the Darcy Kemper trade to Colorado. You get a first-round pick for your goalie, which I don't know why Colorado didn't do that last year, and you get Connor Timmons. So, Craig, I'll start with you on that one since Petey's drinking his club soda.
0: Well, I mean if if you're if you're going to rip off the band-aid you might as well just do it, right? And we knew that they were trying to do these sorts of things. And and I mentioned this in the story. Everybody that I talked to said they're not getting a first round pick for Darcy Kemper. You don't get first round picks for goaltenders. Well, he held to his guns there and uh he got a he got not only a first round pick, granted it's going to be a later first round pick we expect with Colorado, but he also got a promising defenseman who you know, we'll see where he can go, but he's a big right-handed defenseman, so he, he's a good prospect, a guy who's certainly going to play with the team this year, probably going to be in their top four this year. So that's that's quite a haul, to be honest, for Darcy Kemper going into the final year of his contract.
1: Yeah, I, you know, we talked about Darcy Kemper leaving this team almost for 12 months now, um, and we knew Colorado was probably going to be a likely landing spot. It's just Wonder what a Colorado, how they would have ended up if they would have done this before the start of last season. And I've talked to people in Colorado and, and to a man that's, well, Gerbauer's numbers were great. This wasn't a goaltending problem. I, I, I don't know. I mean, is it? I guess we're going to find out. Um, I think Darcy Kemper carries himself like a number one. He's a guy you want as a teammate, uh, exceptional, uh, world championship. I think he's going to help this club. Um, from the Coyotes perspective, outstanding i mean i i don't i'm shocked that they got a number one and as you said craig connor timmons is going to be a player and he's he's young he's he's i know he's not a lot of experience in the national hockey but i think he's going to jump right into this lineup and the direction they're going he's going to get a lot of ice time he's going to get a chance to develop with what they're doing and he's going to be able to grow i think it's a great trade for the coyotes
2: Yeah, I think if you've, if you've decided that Darcy Kemper's not in your plans for the future or, you know, vice versa, if he's decided he's going to want to move on after next year, you got to get something for him. No, you don't trade him just for the sake of trading him, but to get a first round pick, to get Connor Timmons, again, emphasis on being a right handed defenseman and a pretty high end prospect in Colorado's system. I just, what Petey just said, I don't understand why Colorado didn't do this at the trade deadline. If they were going to end up doing it anyway, they may have won the Stanley Cup last year. And I get the Philip Grubauer. He's not a bad goalie. I get that the numbers were really good. But I think I think Colorado got better. I think for the Coyotes, for what they're trying to do, this was a home run. But I definitely think Colorado is better in goal now than they were last year with Kemper. And I mean, that should be a cup contender again this season. And we yeah. talked about
1: Kemper. He, he he would have given the Coyotes a chance to win every night in the upcoming season. That's why you hang on to Darcy Kemper. But for what they're trying to do and the rebuild that they're trying to go through to get higher draft picks, that's why you get rid of Darcy Kemper. Because you know what? If you have a lesser goaltend in there, you don't want to say you're trying to lose. But that extra five, six wins is a huge difference in the standings and thus the draft come draft time next year. I, I don't know what, how they're going to fill this hole right now for the Caddies. They've got Carter Hutton. Um, I don't think they project him as their number one for next year. As, as of today, he's the number one goalie on this hockey team. Um, and he hasn't had that mantle for a long time. I mean, he, he's, he's been a backup in his, in his career at the National Hockey League, he's played some good games, won some games. Um, but I th- think they're still looking t- for a more veteran, um, goaltender to, to, to handle the reins for this season.
0: Yeah, I'm a little surprised to hear people say that it wasn't a goaltending problem in Colorado. If you look at the overall numbers of Philip Grubauer in the postseason, okay. But let's look at the last few games against Vegas. He definitely got worse as that season progressed. By whatever metric you want to measure, he did not play well over the second half of that series and and that was critical. Of course you'd like to have, you know, a level head in his M as well. That would probably help your cause, but I thought Philip Grubauer was a factor in that series for Colorado and not a good one. I think Darcy Kemper is a better goaltender than him. And what you did with this deal too, I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, the way it all played out on that day, Bill Armstrong just basically had Joe Sackick over a barrel. Grubauer had signed in Seattle. There really weren't any options out there because some of the other goals he'd signed. You didn't know what Marc-Andre Fleury was going to do if maybe acquiring him from Chicago was a possibility, you really didn't have any choices, so you had to sort of give in because there's there's no way you could go back into next season with some, you know, some, forgive, forgive me, half-assed uh, solution at goaltender. You have to have a guy who can carry you to the cup because your cup window is now. In fact, you're a couple years into it, and you haven't gotten out of the second round, so that would have been a disaster as a GM, so... Bill had him right where he wanted him, and now when you look at the Coyotes, what they have, and again, they have to execute on this, and you don't know how prospects are going to pan out. You don't know if this draft is going to be as good as people say it is, but they have seven picks right now in the first two rounds of what is supposed to be one of the best three
2: drafts of this millennium. Yeah, and there's something to that. I mean, again, you got to execute on it. And everybody looks and they're like, well, it doesn't matter if you don't get the first pick to a certain extent. But we've talked about this on the show a lot. It's just having Connor McDavid even doesn't rescue your team to have seven picks in the first two rounds. And maybe they package three of those and try and move up into the late first round or whatever. But either way, it's it's a it's they're always going to be lottery tickets, but that's a pretty good lottery to be playing in. Like your odds to win something are better in that lottery. So. I don't think they're going to make seven picks in the first two rounds next year, but if they do, I'm not going to be that upset about it because of what Craig just said. It's one of the best drafts, at least projected, uh, of this decade. Going back to what Petey said, too, like Kemper puts you in a tough spot because he might steal you wins that that you wouldn't normally get. And I don't – like I, I'm not going to go down the path of like they would rather lose, but I, I do think there's something to – you want to – you want like the truest version of your team at this point, right? So if they go out there and win a bunch of games without Darcy Kemper, if the guys in front of him play that well together and Torini coaches that well, okay, then you're fine with that. What you don't want is a goalie stealing you a bunch of wins and then you finish higher than you should be in the standings. Cause it's so critical right now to be realistic with who they are. And I said this a lot when the Suns were doing their rebuild, which took them longer than it should have. If you're going to be down for a little bit, when you come back, you shouldn't be a fringe playoff team. You should be, a fringe cup contender. You should be a team that's challenging whenever you do ultimately come back challenging to win the Western conference, to go to the Stanley cup, to win the the Stanley cup. And to do that, you got to get all these picks and you got to clear out the pieces that aren't part of your future. And for the most part, I think they've done that.
0: Right. And if you don't get one of those top two picks, which we know is certainly not a lot. I mean, just, just look back to 2015, which was, you know, a, before, uh, you know, go all the way back to 2003 to find a draft that good. But when you look at the depth of the 2015 draft, there are a lot of good players that went in that first round, even early in the second round of that draft. So. I think you can find not just good players. I think you can pl- find game changing players in this draft.
1: And I want to, I'm curious. I know our research department budget has been blown already by Craig. Cause if we had a research department, this would be really interesting to know when was the last time a team had seven picks in the first two rounds and recent memory just. I don't think it's happened. That's a tremendous amount of picks in the first two rounds. Yeah. And I know we, we can go back before our next show when we go round by round um, over the last 10 or 15 years to see what the most picks in the first two rounds are. It's not going to be seven. That's a tremendous number that if you hit those right, we've talked about the high pick. You need the high pick. You need the high pick correct once or twice, maybe even three times. But you also need that surrounding cast. Well, if you've got seven picks in the first two rounds, now you can pick to, to spots. You know, you can get a third, fourth line winger. You can get a, a bottom pair defenseman that's a little bit bigger and stronger. You can start to pick and draft around what you're trying to build. So I, I think it's an unbelievable opportunity. Let's just see if it bears fruit.
2: That 2003 draft, too, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I believe the Coyote said no picks in the first two rounds and that, yeah, that was they created uh, out of them the because I would want to be
1: in that draft one of the best drafts of all time and no picks in the first no picks rounds. there yeah so yeah.
2: you know it, it, they I would say Bill Armstrong has done everything he can up until this point again there's nothing guaranteed because these aren't even players yet but Bill Armstrong's strength with St. Louis was it, the draft and the Coyotes have a couple pretty good scouts right now so they have They've done everything they can to set this up where, again, if you're going to rebuild, you want to rebuild and be good when you come out of it. You're not just trying to hang out between 18th and 24th in the standings. Uh, Some of these other names that uh, the Coyotes have either moved on from or have just flat-out retired. Let's start with Nicholas Jalmerson because this will be – the next five minutes will just be Nicholas Jalmerson appreciation. Obviously, the bulk of his career and winning Stanley Cups with the Chicago Blackhawks, but – he he did carry that same sort of game over to Arizona here for a while, just blocking everything and sacrificing the body. He may have been the best defensive defenseman I've ever watched. Hmm.
0: That that's, I guess that's the best way to celebrate what he was. And it, it's interesting. You talk to players like in the, in the piece that I wrote on him, Jason Damaris said he actually flashed some sneaky skill on the ice where he, he toe drag guys in those three on three drills or, it just make guys look foolish by going between their legs. He, he had that Swedish skill, but he he obviously settled into a role that teams wanted for him as a, just a shutdown defensive defenseman with great stick positioning, a willingness to sacrifice his body, uh, just a really intelligent guy who could read plays. Uh, I have so much appreciation for him as a Blackhawk fan for all those years. He was the unsung hero of those, three cup titles that they won just an amazing player consummate professional just did everything the right way there's just not enough good things to say about what Nick brought to the ice and I've said this you know we've talked about this I'd love to see two more awards added to the NHL awards I'd love to see one for best defensive defenseman and you could name it for other guys like Doug Harvey or Rod Langway but if you want to go global like the NHL is now name it after Hammer because he was a wonder to watch
1: you know, the trend in the league right now for defensemen, it's Kale McCarr, it's Jacob Chikrin. it's that offensive powerhouse that can put points on the board. You don't win without players like Nicholas Jelmerson on your team. Um, we talked about it already, the block shots, the penalty killing. And you know what? He, he, he prepares the right way. He was an, an, a consummate NHL professional in and out of the room, just an unbelievable classy human being. And when you have those people in your locker room, that's what creates winners. And that's what, again, we talked about building a team and building a franchise. Those are the pieces that get you over the hump. You need Jacob Chickering you got to get points on the board. You've got to have that dynamic offensive player. But you don't win without players like Nicholas Yelmerson. And and I tell you what, the Coyotes locker room will take a step backwards without him in it. Um, I know he had, his body's been through wars and he's, he's, you know, it's hard. He's not the same player. He was a decade ago, but he still did the little things the right way. And he will be
2: missed in the room. Yeah, that's, I don't think there's any better way to put it than that. And I just, my first Memory of jolmerson with the Coyotes, obviously watching him win all those Stanley Cups at Chicago. But my first memory of him with the Coyotes is Joel Quenville being so upset that he was traded away from Chicago that he just left the draft. That's oh, that didn't happen. No, that's not oh, why it happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah.
0: Everybody Except, else, yes, yes, that's
2: exactly why it did happen. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that tells you all you need to know the coach and, and certainly his teammates. I mean, you guys have played hockey, like, you know. You know, the guys on your team at any level where you're like, Oh, I can count on him to, to take the puck from the other team or to win a battle in the corner or to sacrifice the body. Like those are the guys that your teammates love the most. They don't care about your numbers. They care about how much easier you make it for everybody else on your team on the ice. And yeah, Nicholas Jalmerson at right at the top of that list, as the, uh, the Stanley cup rings will attest to some I, of these other, before
0: you, before you move on, one, one yeah. thing I wanted to say, I always thought it'd be a fun story to take like, Hammer and uh, Boyd Gordon as another example and just have uh, an X-ray of their body and we, just with arrows pointing to it with dates and the incident and just have a little blurb on what happened to, to cause that, that, that spot on the X-ray. Those guys were, those were two of the most insane
2: players I ever watched with throw would anything like, in front of. Them. Be like What's operation. It? Isn't Operation the yes. game where you have to reach it. and get sapped. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Other guys though that are not returning to the Coyotes, and we've, we've talked about some of these, these players before, but I, I will reiterate the two other than Connor Garland, who you, you had to trade to make that trade with Vancouver work. Alex Goligoski and Michael Bunting were two guys that I, I, I'm kind of sad to see go just because Goligoski was so maybe, maybe it'll prove that, you know, Jacob Chickren will continue to develop without him. But as I've said, I don't want to really change anything with Jacob Chickren right now. So I would have. I would have liked to have that pairing just stay together and have Golagoski as as one of your leaders. I know, you know, he got paid to go elsewhere. And then Michael Bunting, just because he was so cheap and it's not like you're building around Michael Bunting, but what if he keeps evolving the way he had played the last, you know, season? Maybe he is a good, like really good third or fourth liner when you start to get good. But, you know, the draw of going to Toronto is basically his hometown with the chance to win the Stanley Cup this year. I, I get it.
0: Yeah. Both of those guys, plus Jordan Osterley, all going home. It's kind of cool. All three of these guys had homecoming. So you understand the lure of at some point wanting to play for your home team. Alex Goligosky got a really, really good contract. Five billion dollars is a lot of money at this stage of his career. So the Coyotes were not going to pay that. Um I, I never really thought Osterley was coming back here. I thought there was a chance with Michael Bunting, but... I'm not sure that negotiations went as well as they hoped here. And then he got the chance to go play at home. And it sounded like he took a little less money than a couple other teams offered him to go play for the Leafs.
1: Yeah. yeah. When you talk about those three players specifically, the Alex Goligosky deal for all the things that Luke mentioned in the development and the growth of Jacob Chikrin credit Alex Goligosky. I mean, he, he really helped mentor that transition and had, One of his best seasons as a coyote. Now, when you look at the financial model and what the plan is, Alex Golagoski doesn't fit that plan here. There was, uh, there was no chance he was coming back here. For him personally, to be able to play at home in Minnesota, I I think outstanding. Good for him and to get paid as well as he's going to get paid next year to do that. Um, They're in a situation too. You know, you've got some young defensemen there. You've got um, this, this Spurgeon who, who is, Still developing and still learning, I mean he, he, he carries the brunt of their minutes there, but he 's a guy that can benefit from having Alex Galagoski there without a, a player like Ryan Souter in the lineup anymore. Um, Michael Bunting is the one that still confuses me a little bit i I, I can look at that financially he fits age he fits. I still think they could have made him a coyote somehow. So I'm surprised to see him move, up, move along. I think you can get him clearly for under a million bucks. He, he's been a coyote, good soldier, did the right things in the minors, um, contributed offensively when he was up with the coyotes. So that one surprised me a little bit more because I think there's still some value there, um, with his youth. So again, for him though, to go play in Toronto, one, it is the most difficult place to play in the National Hockey League. Yeah. in toronto and being from toronto just adds to that pressure so i i hope he can overcome all of those obstacles and have a great year um but i still f- i still wonder what really happened with those negotiations because i still think there might have been a fit here
0: yeah he's going to get some opportunity on left wing there they have some holes there in toronto though they're talking about uh, talking about a top six role at least to begin with so we'll, uh-huh.
2: we'll see where that goes good for him Yep. Look, I mean, it's only fair. Like he goes home to Toronto and then when Austin Matthews goes home to to Phoenix in 2024, (laughs) basically you call it even. Well, let's
1: make that deal, Luke. Pull some strings. Let's get kid playing at home. Yeah. Outstanding trade right there. (laughs) Bunting for Matthews. (laughs) Why not? I like it. I like it.
2: They get Matthews for three more years. So then it kind of evens the trade out. They get bunting now plus three years of Matthews. And then the Coyotes get Matthews in 2024. I love it. Uh, What's left? for the, uh, the Coyotes to do. There's one name that kind of stands out to me that maybe it just doesn't fit in terms of what they're trying to do for the next time. Uh, <laughs> Craig's laughing. I'm watching your dance. This. This, yeah. this verbal dance. <laughs> as, as the roster is constructed, you look at it and you're like, okay, this all makes sense. Wait, wait, why, why is... Let's see if you guys can guess who I'm, I'm talking about.
0: One of these things is... Sorry, Phil Kessel does not fit a rebuild at all. The team knows it. He knows it. His agent knows it. They're trying feverishly to trade him. He doesn't want to be here for a rebuild, which is understandable. It doesn't make sense for Phil Kessel to stay for a rebuild. But I don't know if they're going to be able to move him anytime soon. Maybe we get to camp and the team sees a a need for scoring and they pick him up. Maybe that happens a little ways into the season with an injury, or maybe it goes all the way to the trade trade deadline. They're going to try and move Phil Kessel. They need to move Phil, Phil Kessel. They don't want the distraction of Phil Kessel.
1: Bill Kessel's going to have to play himself out of Arizona. He, he's not going to be able to sit on the sidelines and just expect a trade to occur. He's going to have to put up numbers. He's going to have to score goals. He's going to have to be good on the power play. Um, he's going to have to create value for himself, to be able to move on teams that are close and the window is open can find room for a guy like Phil Kessel. One, because of the din- dynamic ability he has to score in those situations. And more importantly, he's very attractive financially this year, which is mm-hmm. surprising to be able to say that about a Phil Kessel contract. So you look at a team, Colorado, Vegas jumps out at me because they, hey, they struggled mightily to score on the power play. Put Phil Kessel lower in your lineup. Doesn't have to play all those five on five minutes, but when the power play jumps over the boards, Phil Kessel can be one of those players that can help offensively. I see a fit like that working, but he's going to have to have a good start here in Arizona for that
0: to happen. That's I'm a surprised point. that Vegas is not uh, a fit. I, you know, I thought I thought so too. And I thought that that sort of locker room could absorb him, but I was told recently that Vegas is not interested in Phil Kessel, so I don't know where he ends up at this point. But yeah, this is this is a storyline to watch. I'm not saying he's going to be a problem in the in the locker room, but I don't know. Yeah, but all accounts
1: are, and Phil Phil isn't a problem. He's not a he's not a bad person. Phil's a good guy. He's just he just you know sometimes we talk about puzzle pieces. Fitting and sometimes when Phil Kessel fits the puzzle, you win a Stanley cup like he did in Pittsburgh. I just think with what they're doing here, Phil's puzzle piece might not quite fit. Having said that, Phil's taking his summertime to prepare the right way. I I, I think he's committed to training here in Arizona for most of the summer. And so he's doing the right things with his teammates. He gets along well with the guys here. I know the coach has tried to, tried to build that connection. So I, I think. Phil is trying to do his best to fit in here. I, I just don't know on a rebuild if Phil Kessel's the guy, but he, give him credit—he is doing the right things right now in August in Arizona.
2: Yeah, that's what you got to do. I mean, you—if if you're you're going into a contract year, like Petey said, if you want to play for a Stanley Cup contender, if you want to end up on Colorado or whoever, somebody that emerges from the East or wherever, if you're Phil Kessel, you got to get off to a good start. And, and allow the Coyotes the option to potentially trade you around the trade deadline or something. And everybody wins because then whoever that cup contender is gets a a nice boost that is cheap that they're not committed to past next year. If they don't want to be the Coyotes potentially get more assets or more draft capital and Phil Kessel gets to be on a team that he's just, he's used to being on. You know, he's won a couple cups with, with Pittsburgh and they were, they were in it every year he was there. So that is the name that really stands out. I mean, do you guys foresee anybody else moving? I kind of feel like a lot of the roster, you're going to need to find a goalie. And I'm interested to know if their goalie of the future is Ivan Prosvetov or if they plan on drafting or trading for him in a year or whatever, whoever that goalie is. But, um, but for the most part, it feels like for this season, don't you have most of your group? I think so. I I do think they'll go out and get another
0: goaltender. I don't think they're going to sit with the uh, group that they have. Maybe they'll get another defenseman depending on how, you know, and and I don't know, that one could go late. I don't know how they feel about Provolnev yet being in their mix uh, or Victor Soderstrom. Um, And then we wait and see what happens with Christian Dvorak. I've been told that the demand is very high on him. Uh, We'll, we'll see. He's a, he's a good middle six center on a good contract. So it, you know, they got to listen. They're going to listen to offers, but the offer is going to have to blow them away to trade Christian Dvorak.
1: Early, I thought he would be the one that would go first. I thought his contract was attractive. I thought he played an overall 200 foot game. I really thought Christian Dvorak might be the first out the door. So for him to still be around at this point. I mean, I'm not surprised because he fits a role on this Coyotes team and I, I think he can be an effective player here. He's still young. The money still fits. So I think that all makes sense. I just thought they'd get the return they were looking for in, in the market for him. So for him to still be here, mildly surprised, but I, uh, but I think it's still, it's still a good fit for this team for right now.
2: That uh, what's the book? The Cubs way? that I know a lot of people and a lot of these front offices have read. And one of the things about in that book, I haven't read the whole thing. I've read half of it. So maybe the end is great. how <laughs> It works out. But one of their biggest thing is, um, is, is finding, you know, four or five core guys to build around and Craig, you'll appreciate this. Those, the guys that they mentioned for the Cubs, they all yeah. just got traded in the last yeah. two weeks. That was a great day. I'd yeah, thank you. But, but they did win a world series with those, those guys. So if you're the coyotes right now and you're looking and you're saying, okay, here's who are you building around? Is it just Jacob Chikrin right now and, and potentially guys that you have coming up in the system like Victor Silverstrom yeah. and Dylan Gunther? I think so right now. Maybe
0: some other guys will emerge. But right now, yeah, he's the one guy that – I mean, he was the one guy that they weren't going to trade. So that's the guy that you, you you have identified as absolutely a core piece for the future, and we'll see about the rest. And it was one World Series, and it was by the skin of their teeth because <laughs> they gave up the lead, if you remember, and almost blew that game it it felt like another Cub moment until they they actually actually won that game against the Indians I, in the standings and and that's all they won for all that was expected of the Cubs with Rizzo and Brian and Baez we don't want to go down this road I
2: remember I was playing hockey actually that night during was that game seven it was game seven right there was like a rain delay and Jason Hayward got everybody together and one of the guys on my team was a Cubs fan and he was just feverishly checking updates every line change right because it had gotten delayed so the end of that game was while we were on the ice. And they won, and he was ecstatic, and he's like, man, this is just the start of an amazing run. And it wasn't. Nope, it wasn't. Um, it felt a lot like the
0: 85 Bears, actually. Like, <laughs> oh, my God, this team is going to be dominant for so long. And nope.
2: And they weren't. Last thing here on well, – no, that's not true. Not the last thing on the Coyotes, but on chicken specifically. And, Petey, maybe you can speak to this better than the, any of us, but – if you're building around a defenseman and you like what you have seen from Chikrin, and, and I totally, I would be doing the same thing. I'm building around him. But if it's going to be tough at times this season, are you worried at all about a young defenseman specifically trying to do too much from his position if, if the team around him is rebuilding?
1: I mean, the easy answer is yes. But in Jacob Chikrin's mind, he, he's a very confident kid. I mean, he, he believes he can do what he's done and much more. I think the key to his development is going to be getting the right partner for him. And that's what Alex Goligosky was. Um, we talked about Connor Timmins earlier. Um I, I, That's not the fit. I mean, it might, you might go, Oh, two young defensemen. Need, that's not going to work. You need for Jacob Chikrin, to grow, he's going to have to take chances to take chances. You need somebody that's going to be able to, to recover for those mistakes and those chances that he's going to take. Uh, I think they're going to have to pair him with someone a little more experienced. Can, yeah. And, and, Anton Strong, uh, yep. that's the fit for me because I think a little more, I don't want to say defensive minded, but more experienced. He's been yeah. through more things and it allows Jacob chicken to be Jacob chicken. Not to say building around the defenseman. I don't know. If, necessarily that's fair for Jacob either 20 guys on a team I mean they're going to need a lot of people to to, to step forward to get this thing in the direction they want it to go the guy right now that's going to have to carry the torch offensively is going to be a defenseman like don't be surprised if he leads this team in scoring next season um (laughs) but I think for him there's going to be still some painful days i mean he if you go back and really watch his game his read of the rutch, his defensive um reads his boxing out in front of the net jacob still has some growing pains to go through offensive side dynamic one of the best in the national hockey league but there's still some things he needs to learn to really blow up in this league and those players like victor hedman you got to play both sides of the rink and right now jacob is still learning some of those things in the defensive end
0: wouldn't be the first time we saw coyotes defenseman lead the team in points what twice Oliver did it once yeah, yeah. here I we go again it, I know ah 2014-15 I've been thinking about uh, <laughs> a comparison that whole year out. we'll see how
1: it the whole goes. year out <laughs> no we're not doing that year again all right all moving on
2: time, I just remember like was it Andrew Campbell? Like, we should just go through that 2014-15 roster by the end of the season. There were there were some names I didn't hear much after that. Remember the trade deadline move? Uh, is that Martin Erat? Yes. Do you I remember how many Erette. goals he had when they acquired him? Uh, not. Was it one? Did he have one when they acquired him?
1: I don't know. It's, I think Craig's gone. Craig. I Craig, think Craig froze. Craig dropped out. <laughs> so much That's for the funny. show.
2: I always want to remember Craig with the exact expression that's frozen on his face right now. Anyway, uh, Moving well, I don't on. know if he's coming back. Petey, I'll ask you this while Craig figures out how to work technology with, uh, with Andre Torini and the, you know, you're, you're a head coach in the NHL for the first time and you're stepping in on a team that's going to look a lot different than it did last year you got to take that job because it's an NHL head coaching job. And they're there. I'm sure told him like, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to build, you're a guy that we're going to build around, but that's a challenge. Isn't it to step in and you really got to put everything together on the fly.
1: You know, he he talks about how he builds his teams and he builds it through partnership and relationships. I think that's going to be incredibly important with the cast of characters he's been given for this season. Um, because they they are going to have to go into this season like we are in this together. That's going to have to be their mantra. Uh, I don't think, you know, it can't be us against him. And there are teams that you can win us against him. That's not going to be what's happening here. Um, he is going to have a hard time. And they're going to have a hard time finding wins. And he is going to have to find a way to keep pushing this group forward through motivation and try to keep it light. And you talked earlier about the name tags. All seriousness, I've never seen this many players come from this many teams at the start of a training camp. So for him, that team building piece of this, there is going to be things like that early in the season. There are going to be, you know, team dinners, and there are going to be outings away from the rink just to get to get these group of players on the same page. And so I think that that's what uh, Andre's tried to do over the summer is build those relationships. Yeah, you don't want to see a friend because coaches as friends, that doesn't work either, but you have to be at least on this situation where the Coyotes are right now, they got to go in as a group together. And I think that's what he's been trying to accomplish over this summer. And we talked about Phil Kessel. I know he's tried to create relationships with Phil over the summer and, and, and he, you know, he, Prior to Oliver's departure, he went over to Sweden to, to build that relationship. So it's going to be imperative for what he's trying to grow here in Arizona to have those relationships so players pull the rope because we've, we've said it over and over and over again how difficult this is going to be this season. You better all be doing it together because once that wheel falls off and guys start pointing fingers and it starts getting to be tough is when it gets really difficult to go to the rink every day.
0: Yeah. I love the fact that he he's doing this tour. He visited the Chickrens at their rural cabin in Ontario too. So he's got a goal. He told me of visiting with every player before the season starts. Most of those will probably happen in Arizona, but we'll, we'll see about some of those like Antoine Roussel, who's playing in the Olympic qualifier, but a, a really cool uh, sort of side story on how he he's trying to develop relationships. He also talked about the captaincy and measuring success in that story that I posted um, it was interesting to hear him say, uh, you know, he could definitely envision going into the season with a bunch of alternates. He believes that in, in the year 2021, it's, it's much more about a group of leaders versus one single leader. So that, that, that's probably the way I get the sense that's the way that they're going to go initially and they'll see how things evolve
2: on when they, uh, add a captain. I'm sorry. Did you say something? No, I just said good. I just, I, that's the way I want them to go into the season because. Because the guy you're probably going to have as your captain ultimately is, is very young right now, and you don't need to yeah. put that extra responsibility on him. So that's all I'm saying.
0: I wanted to get back to the measuring success in a rebuild, too, because I thought that, you know, a couple of people I know asked us it in the listener questions. Andre talked about it as well, and, and really what he said, it's about uh, uh, establishing a culture. Establishing a style that we want to play. And then, and obviously you, you want to establish your leadership group and, and trust in one another. But I'm curious as someone who was in the coach's room and in the locker room for so many years, PD, what's your take on all that? What do you have to do to measure? How, how do you measure success? It's hard during a rebuild. Yeah.
1: It's hard because I'll I give you two instances. When, um, Rick Bonus took over for Bobby Francis, um, Rick Bonus went one in 21. It was a miserable stretch and it was hard to go to the rink every day. And what happened is you, you evolved early. Rick Bonus wanted to win every game and it was angry and it was combative and it was difficult. Once you saw what the level of talent was and what the locker room and the team was built as at that, that end of that season, you started to take smaller wins. And then it was more, okay, now we're going to teach. We're going to try to compete. And that's the bar that we set was, are we competing? If we're not competing, let's correct that. Can't control the outcome. And then I go to the same scenario in 1415 that we've already talked about with Dave Tippett, the frustrations that Dave Tippett had coming so frequently off the recently off the 2012 team that was almost over the hump to get to a team that again, you're not competing on a nightly basis. The frustration that that coaching staff and that coaching room went through was extremely difficult because they didn't have the weapons and tools to compete on a nightly basis. And again, it was an evolution of finally sitting down one day and going, okay, this is what we have. This is what we have to do. Let's change what our goals are for this team. And I think that's an important thing to go through because When you have a lesser team and a a roster that you know isn't competing and say what you want, that's what teams go through. You look at the roster and you're going against it. That team was Datsuk and Zetterberg. We're not competing. We can't. So what's what's the goal? Can we do small goals? Can we try to limit our shots against? Can we limit our defensive zone time? And we started to structure ways to set goals that were attainable to the group that weren't wins and losses so that you can leave a game going, okay, we 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 limited our goals against, or excuse me, our shots against uh, this week are lower than they were last week. Um, little wins were a big deal in a locker room like the fourteen fifteen room, and I think that those things help a team grow so that when they're ready to win, okay, we've we've gone through this process, not wins and losses, but little things that helped us. Okay, we're not losing all the time, and I, that kind of culture is what happened in Edmonton. I wasn't in that room. I wasn't a part of that staff. But when you have a group of players that are high achievers, high skilled, and you continue to lose, all you're doing is learning how to lose. And I think that that's hard to get past that. So it's going to be imperative for this coaching staff to understand what kind of team you have and build on little wins. And it'll be internal. You won't hear about it in the media. You won't know. You know you're know, you just going to – we're going to talk about wins and losses. In that room, they're going to break this down into different segments, different attainable goals, because they have to have that concept of winning to build that culture. I hope that made sense, Craig.
2: It did. This this is why PD's on the podcast because that is one of the best ways I've ever heard that explained. And I think it's one of the toughest things in a rebuild. Like you you can you can look through and you can say, okay, this person, this player, isn't part of our future. Let's get rid of them and let's get assets. This person is. Let's bring him in and build around them. But. How many teams have we seen, not just in hockey, but Edmonton is the perfect example of like, okay, we got our five guys. We're going to be bad for three years, so we get more high picks. Well, you taught those five guys how to lose. So even when you get the additional picks, they're not going to help you. I would rather have a core of five players that are doing what PD said, of finding ways to incrementally get better as a group than have the number one overall pick. We're seeing it still with Edmonton. They got Connor McDavid. How many, How many better number one picks can you think of? And they struggle. They've won, what, one playoff series since he got drafted? And yeah. I just, yeah, that's that's a great great way to explain it right there, Petey. And it's one of the things that it's, you know, that's going to be, I think, the toughest thing that Torini has to do because if you come in and you're taking over this team that – this is why I always say there's a way to rebuild, and I'm all in favor. I hate tanking because you are giving up so much just so you hope you get the first pick. And that's putting so much stock in a ping pong ball. And then it's putting even beyond that, you're putting stock in one player to be amazing. And then even then, even if he is, it's a hockey team is more than one player.
1: And the other part of that too, Luke, is I have not been in a coach's room that said, okay, let's go lose tonight. Okay. I never one time. I don't care if from Pee Wees on to the NHL, there isn't a coach that wants to lose. And management, ownership, scouts, Yes, and I understand their job is different, but inside that coach's room, I've never seen – I've seen the David and Goliath matchups for years and years and years, and all coaches do is try to figure out a way to win. You can still lose 7-8 to 1. I've been in those locker rooms where you get blown out, but you still prepare and you still try and you still think that there's a chance if we do this right or if our power play is good – there isn't a coach, and they shouldn't be coaching in the National Hockey League level if they're not trying to win. So I know Andre is going to have some difficult nights, but he's going to have to take those little victories, and hopefully as they mount over time, that will get what pushes this team you know, across the goal line, unfortunately, years from now.
2: Yeah, players too. I, it always, I always laugh when people are like, oh, these players, they – like in football. Or the Jets don't want to win so they can get Trevor Lawrence. Like, yeah, I'm sure the front office wanted Trevor Lawrence. No player is out there sabotaging his own career just so they can draft the guy that's gonna replace him. Uh all right, we gotta get through some of this pretty quick here because I know Craig's gotta go. Let's um real quick through some of the NHL notes so we can get to listener questions. Specifically, I don't know, let's start with uh let's start with the Blackhawks. Sounds like Mark Andre Fleury is going to play for the Blackhawks, Craig.
0: Yeah, Mark andre Fleury says he's going to play, so we'll, we'll see. I, I'm still not convinced that this team is a contender, but they, they did improve this offseason. I, w- I want to get to that in a minute because I did a poll of uh, Central Division writers on projected order of finish, and I'd love to get your guys' take on that, too. So we'll see how that works out with Chicago. Um, they're also going to be releasing the findings of their investigation, which is... We'll see. It's an ugly, ugly, ugly story that touches so many people in that organization. I don't know how they escape without major ramifications for the people in the front office.
1: Yeah, I don't know how that story ends. And it's a sad story. And we've talked about it before on the show. I, I, it, There's nothing good that's going to come from that, from the Chicago Blackhawks, and, and it's really sad. And I hope at some point, you know, the, the organization and the league can move on. And I, I don't mean brush it under the carpet. I just mean move on. As far as Marc-Andre Fleury, Vesna, uh, coming off, you know, great season in in Vegas. He's done great things in Vegas, but you know, can you catch lightning a bottle again? Like, is it going to happen to him again? I, I don't know. I mean, he's still, he's still a great goaltender. Don't get me wrong. I'm just not sure. A goalie's mindset has to be dialed in to have those kind of seasons like they got to be all on board things have to be going right away from the rink at the rink I I'm not sure I'm not sure how this is going to end for Chicago with Marc-Andre Fleury and I understand completely why he had to consider and look at retiring I we, we all have lives and we all have families and homes and I get it, but uh, I'm not sure that this is going to end as well for Chicago as they think it is. Uh, time yeah. will tell.
2: They don't have the defense in front of Mark Andre Fleury that uh, that Vegas had, which, yep. and that's not to minimize what Fleury did. I mean, I would certainly take him back in Pittsburgh right now because he no, stands in front all. of the puck. But, uh, but, but, but that's still. part
1: of what he did. That do not you think? Because he wanted to. He say, okay, Pittsburgh, you let me go. Gave passed the torch to to Matt Murray. I yeah. still got a lot of gas in the tank. I'm going to show you I do, and I yeah. think that's what he's done his entire his entire time in Vegas. And I don't know if you know he's he, maybe he he puts his thumb in you know it's his nose in the air at, at Vegas as well. We'll see, but I, I just don't know if he's got that same. I need to show you as he did when he left Pittsburgh.
2: Well, And the flip side of that is Matt Murray was like, okay, Pittsburgh, you're going to make me the number one. That's great. I'm (laughs) going to preserve my career by never touching the puck or getting hit by it ever again.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Luke and your penguins. Not work um, out as planned.
2: No. And it continues to not work out as planned. Evander Kane, that situation, not great either. (sighs) Man, he is somebody that it just feels like had the potential to do so much more with his career, not even getting into the off the ice stuff. And yet at the same time, like every like every year now, we hear something not great that he's involved in. This will be ugly if it proves to be true. I mean, that's
0: that's a lifetime ban, <laughs> that's that's Pete Rose territory. And, and then you read Kevin Kerr's story that a number of teammates don't want him back, so that doesn't portend well, that, that doesn't speak to the t- type of teammate he is either. So that's that's a really bad situation to watch. Inside. I know we're
1: on the clock, and I know I have two quick thoughts on this one on, on the gambling issues for anybody that's ever been through a divorce, especially a contentious one, there's two sides to everything. So I'm just going to be very patient and wait. I've seen friends go through this, family go through this. I'm just going to wait because that's where this information really came from is from something very private. And so let's wait. And if again, if it's true, it's true. And we'll we'll go from there. But until we find out what really went on, I think there's two sides. The second part of that story, you talked about teammates. Man, I... he led the team in goals, assistant points. You got a team that's really going to struggle out of the gate next year. You want to get rid of your best player. So I'd like to see what player said that I've been on teams where there are guys that guys don't like. And I know it's a big surprise. You get 20 personalities in a room. There are people that other players don't like, not a big surprise, but if they're good at their position, they help you win. They either score goals, stop goals, or they defend well, and they do it really well. People look past some personality flaws or some differences in the locker room away from the rink if you're helping the team win. So in this case, gosh, I, I don't know. Like a, One guy that's disgruntled that really doesn't like him talk to a, a member of the media, maybe. I just know that you don't look the other way, but if a guy's helping your team win, you don't need to be their best friend.
2: Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's that's true. I mean, you're talking about alpha personalities, guys that are used to being the best at what they do at every level until they get to the NHL. And, yeah, they don't all get along. But that's that's different than I don't want to play with this guy uh, when the media is talking to you. Uh, The Jack Eichel situation, it does seem to become more complicated every time we do this show. At this point, I don't even know where he's going to be next season. I really don't. Uh, It's it's,
0: it's not going to be Buffalo
2: it's obvious. I mean, this, this is
0: irreparable now and and he's I mean teams know that they've got him over a barrel. Now there could still be a bidding war for him. There probably will be, but this is a really ugly situation that probably should have been resolved by now. They 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 blew this in my opinion and <laughs> Wow! What a surprise for the Buffalo Sabers. Just <laughs> going to say,
1: I was just going to say that I have a neighbor who's a fan of the Buffalo Sabers, and he goes, "Buffalo is doing it again," and yeah. and it, it sums up what happens in that organization right now. And they need to get over these little—I don't want to say bumps—because it's not a little bump. This is a huge bump. It's a—it's a huge draft pick that you made your captain, and, and now you've created this big cloud that you didn't have to create. We could—they could be months past this right now. And and they're not. And if this goes weeks from now, like September 1st,
0: we're still talking about Jack Eichel. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't know. 2015 is really working out well for those teams at the top of the draft, isn't it? Yeah.
2: yeah it's, it's almost like Buffalo trading every goalie that made a save down the stretch so that they could get the first pick and then getting the second pick to get Jack Eichel. It's almost like that strategy didn't work out.
1: <laughs> it's almost like Car-em-out. it did.
2: Uh, all right, Craig, let's get into, uh, what you had with the, what was the setup here? You pulled 12 central division writers.
0: Yeah. Just to get their projected order of finish. And I'll read the order of finish. Uh, I had this in a notebook too. Colorado was a unanimous choice for the first place in the division. St. Louis. I I didn't put this in the, the story, but St. Louis edged Winnipeg by one point for second place in the division. Surprised me a little bit. Uh, Winnipeg third, Minnesota fourth, Dallas fifth, Chicago in sixth place in spite of all the moves that they made. Nashville seventh and Arizona one vote short of a unanimous pick for last place
2: in the division. Your thoughts? That's not very nice. That's that's my thought. My initial thought. The one short vote one vote short of unanimous for last is it's just hurtful.
0: It was Sean um, Shapiro in Dallas and he admitted it on Twitter so I can I can say it.
2: <laughs> he had uh, Nashville
1: last. These preseason polls, and we're still in August, I don't know if the rosters are set to what we're going to see on opening night in October. Um, so there may be a little bit of movement on that list, Craig. I think, you're honestly, it's probably pretty close. If Colorado doesn't finish in first, I don't know if Jared Bednar will still be there. Um, that's that's how short that leash may be. Um, the, the St. Louis, Winnipeg, Minnesota, I, I think throw them in a hat and shake them up. I think Minnesota needs to get Kaprizov signed um if they're going to repeat their 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 season of, of last year um you know they've they've removed Suter and Parisi from their locker man from their payroll so does that help them move forward St. Louis I, I don't see them in second that's just me I think that that's a little bit of a reach for me um the one though that we look at and I think the three of us, unfortunately, probably agree on is Arizona is going to have a really hard time coming out of that cellar. And and, and the key to that will be um, who they sign um, in the net to to take the, the, the goaltending duties and also to see if some of these veteran players really battle back to a rebound year that they've signed so many, you know, Ladd, Erickson, Roussel, Beagle. Can these guys have that type of bounce back year? They go, wow, and everything just clicks. I don't think that pushes them into the playoffs, but does it pull them out of the cellar? It actually might.
2: Luke? Yeah. I think Colorado unanimous for number one. That, that makes a lot of sense. Honestly, I could see any of the Blues, Jets, Wild, Stars, or Blackhawks finishing second. And yep, I could see any of those teams finishing in any order. And like Petey just said, it depends. It's tough to look at the Coyotes and predict anything until you know who the goalie is. But, <laughs> um, I don't totally buy St. Louis. I didn't buy St. Louis necessarily last year either. And that was after watching the Coyotes play them seventy four times in a row in the span of one month. So I I yeah, I mean, it's it's a good division in the sense that they're that middle pack, they're all solid on any given night. Like I, I can't get a read on Winnipeg because of the Canadian division that they were just in. But I do think if Colorado doesn't win this division going away, there's gonna be a lot of questions, honestly. And it, it would take, I think, a few injuries for them to even be in the discussion of not finishing in first.
0: But wait, we've been told that Montreal getting to the cup final was validation for the entire Canadian
2: division. It yeah, wasn't okay. before, but no. but we were told that. But well, you start in the final four coming out of the Canadian division. So that's yeah. so they won one series. That's validation. And Vegas always seems to melt down in the, uh, in the, the semis. Uh, Craig, I mean, do you agree with it?
0: I don't. I, I'm with you on the, those teams that are. Uh, I agree. Nashville and Arizona are the two worst teams in the division. I agree. Colorado is the best, but those other teams throw them in a blender. I don't know how it's going
2: to shake out. That that's going to be an interesting race to watch. Those other teams: St. Louis, Winnipeg, Minnesota, Dallas, Chicago, specifically. So those five. Who do you think has the most upside? Like they, if everything goes right, they come out of this division and maybe could challenge to to make a deep run in the playoffs. The most upside. Of those five, of the Blues, Jets, Wild, maybe stars, maybe
0: and- the Blackhawks. I mean, if, if all their moves pan out yeah. with all the players that they added, but I, I very, doubt that'll pan out that way.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard because I, I I a couple months ago I was said Minnesota, but their off season hasn't quite been what they expected it to be. Um, St. Louis, I think, is a team going in the other direction. Dallas too. Uh, yeah, so for hey, me, Winnipeg. Yeah. For me, I, I mean, I, Chicago, man, they made a lot of moves, and I still look at it, I still think there's holes there. There are. So, I, I mean, I, I'll reluctantly say the Winnipeg Jets.
2: Okay. Yeah, it's – I mean, I kind of want to say Dallas, but I have no reason for it. So, I almost I, – A lot of people I like their of, defense. Yeah. I mean, I like – I Michigan. like their
1: defense. I like the Jets' goaltending. I still think the Jets can – it's a tough building to play in and they're a team that can actually pound you through the wall. So I, I, I still like the jets. Dallas is another team in decline. They've got some young defensemen that I really like. I think they're goaltending. Now they've got a trio. I I don't know how that's going to pan out with them. We got to look at Bishop's health. Um, this division has a lot of question marks in it as the season begins. Um, and that includes the coyotes. I mean, they're going to go into it optimistic. You're going to hear press conferences and coaches, talks and players. They're going to be optimistic. I mean, you have to be. So I think, you know, this, this will unfold, watch it unfold. But I still think Colorado by far is the cream of the crop. And if they don't start off 20 games in and they're not in first, man, man, I, I I don't want to overstate it. I don't know if the course survives it.
0: How many good teams are there in the Western Conference? I mean look at the Pacific Division. Yeah, Pacific Does Division just, Why can't the Coyotes play, play there Vegas? this year?
1: Yeah huh? why can't like the, the year for the Oats to play in the Pacific is this <laughs> year.
0: I <So you, laughs> exactly. think well, we talk about they're trying to be a playoff team, yes. I mean we talk about wow. Edmonton all
1: the time. Edmonton, to me, is in the playoffs almost by default. Yeah, who else? Like Vegas is clearly
0: Vancouver the front. will probably get back there.
1: Yeah, I think Vancouver, Calgary may get back in there. I don't think the California teams are ready, but one of them may the jump out. Kings, yeah. Kings, Kings could jump out to a good start with their young talent. Like they showed last year, they had glimpses. It's that division other than Vegas, I think is completely up for grabs. Yep. And I think you could make an argument for any team in the division to make the
2: playoffs. I kind of think the Kings, I don't, I don't love this, but I do kind of think they are going to be better than people maybe think. I don't know, but it, it, it's going to take a lot of those young guys. They have a lot of them, but it's going to take some of them uh clicking early. But they, they've also made, I mean, that Victor Arvidsson move, like they've made moves now for this year. So it's funny
1: because people around the league, they say in the know, as it were, they you talk to somebody, gosh, Anaheim's got some young talent. They're going to be dangerous. And the next guy I talked to said Anaheim's finishing last for sure. <laughs> so I, I really don't know what to make of this division. And I guess that what makes this time of year so fun because everybody's got a chance and everybody's speculating their team's better than they're going to
2: be. Well, if Anaheim gets Jack Eichel, maybe that changes.
1: Them. Oh, wow. How about that,
2: trade? Craig's
1: getting ready. He's checking his itinerary right now. That's right. Let's 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 roll uh, through
2: these listener questions. Well, we've got 173, so we'll get through a couple.
0: We have Uh, 173 listeners or questions? uh, We have a lot more (laughs) listeners. We have a lot of questions this week. Yeah,
2: we do. We might. Too many. Yeah. Some have Uh, been asked though. One of these we need to just, one of these days Mm -hmm. we need to do the listener questions as its own podcast. Uh, Mm Eldon. You get to travel back in time to attend one sporting event. What do you choose? This for me is easy. Uh, miracle Nice. I don't have to think. Yeah. 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 Oh, the sweep. Wow. Next. Okay. Rapid uh, fire, baby. Rapid fire. Well, you guys got to answer for three seconds so I can find another one of these questions. Uh, here, I just, I'm just i reading the question without even looking, but I know it's Gertrude von Lichtenstein, so I'm just going to read it. Would you eat a hot dog absolutely slathered in ketchup if it meant the Coyotes get the number one overall pick in next year's draft?
1: Well, that's clearly given to Craig.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, for me too, I mean, I'm not the kind of person who's going to root for a team, but do I get to cover a, a franchise center? Yeah, I'll eat that hot dog. I'll, I'll put it down happily.
2: I would do it maybe for the 2023 draft for Bedard. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'd go that route. Yeah. I'm willing to go catch up, catch up for Bedard. That'll be a weird hashtag. Yeah. Um, Ozzy. Oh, great. So did Tom Wilson officially break the Rangers? It sure looks like he did. <laughs> Boy, that's going to be a <laughs> bloodbath uh, next it year. sounds rhetorical to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, Matt, Matt Crell writes in how badly do you think Garland is going to smoke us when we play Vancouver? I think he's going to be motivated.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate that that's so late in the year. I, I've talked to people inside the organization, inside both actually, and, and talked about that specific moment. <laughs> Garland plays hard every single night. He touches the ice. That's who he is. It's his DNA. That game will be different. Keep your eye on the kid because he is going to tear it up. I'll take the over on the, on the points and, okay. um, I, I would I will think there will be a lot of money on the board that night. It's gonna be an interesting night for Connor Garland. You know what? It'll be a good homecoming. He's well liked here by fans in the room and the media. And it's gonna be Oliver Eckman night. Unfortunately, it's not till late in the year. I just wish yeah. that was a October twelfth matchup. And it's not till February.
2: Yeah, by the time they actually play, Garland's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be a vet on, on Vancouver for exactly. the games to play for them. Uh Booper. How are you all feeling about this rebuild, rebuild over past ones? Are there reasons to hope this one will finally lead to an actual contender? What I will say is, and I don't have proof of this yet, but the fact that you've got a GM that has gotten to this point because he's good at drafting, and the fact that you have some pretty good scouts in place, that is what I'm banking on going forward. Yeah, that's the reason for hope in my mind.
1: The only thing I can say to that, because I've seen this attempted before and I've seen it at this point in the rebuild before the key to this getting followed through to the end are an ownership, a GM and a coach that can remain constant. If any of those things change in the next three years, all bets are off because that's when people start wanting to make changes right now. It seems like they are doing the right thing, but I've seen this movie before and two years from now, you're getting step on and Ranta for draft picks. So, Let's wait.
2: Got to hit on the draft picks. Gotta, and, and they've got as many as you possibly could have, but you actually, you have to hit on them too. Uh, a couple questions about who the, uh, the GM is going to be in Tucson. I, Shane Doan's name, of course, popped up uh, among the listeners, but just in general, if there's any news there.
0: No, they're, they're, I think they're just starting that process. They were going to wait until all these other things were over. They wanted to be deliberate and take their time with that. So it'll be a little while still before we have that. Um, and
2: it won't be Shane Doan.
1: Will it be Craig Morgan? No. That that <laughs> Throw that be, name in the hat. That would be
0: a hot mess.
2: <laughs> that would make for a very interesting podcast. Uh, I'll buy season so. tickets. <laughs> I don't know. If, if Craig was the GM, would we cheer for Craig? Or would we be forced to like cheer I, I, against our own team?
1: I can't say anything bad about Craig because then I'll get jumped on by Twitter again. So, Craig, you'd be amazing <laughs> at that job.
2: That's right. Uh, I'm an angel. So, People yeah. who are. Who Craig <laughs> has a lot of burner accounts. Uh, Sasha writes in, what's the latest on Connor Timmons? Uh, I just tweeted actually
0: a little earlier. Uh, I've, I've been told their preliminary discussion has started on a new contract for him. So I mean, he's, a, he's a 10.2C player. He, he, he has no rights. He's basically an RFA with no rights, no arbitration rights, can't be offer sheeted, can't sign with anyone but the Coyotes. So his only option is to sit out.
2: Uh, Matt Mastrangelo, uh, this is a good question. When it comes to developing a kid like Soderstrom, which is more important, a winning culture in Tucson or the challenges of playing in the NHL in Arizona? Does it make sense to hold kids back while tanking if they're physically ready for the NHL? My,
0: my take here is to better develop their game away from the NHL lights. You don't want a kid being like minus 30. You know, if all goes well, maybe he gets a call up, you know, and, and it could still be bad, but the stats won't be devastating, won't shatter his confidence. I'm all for AHL over throwing them into this mix.
1: And I think the other thing that the AHL does is it allows players to play in, in an environment and in the place in the lineup that they belong. And it allows them to play different areas of the game that they would never touch. If they were in the NHL, for example, he is going to get time on the power play down there. If he's here in Arizona, he's not, his ice time will be limited. He's not going to get the big minutes. He's not going to get the first minute or the last minute of a period. And those are critical in players development in learning how to handle those situations and learning how to play within all areas of the game. I think it's imperative that you, you get the opportunity to grow in the American league. Uh,
2: Los Coyotes, Steve, it's been 10 days. Now it's been 11 since the NHL draft and the Habs still haven't been pressured to rescind their first round selection. Why the double standard? Still like
0: rhetorical question, Steve. I don't think it's a double standard. I mean, all the pressure came from media and outside sources with the Coyotes and, and they they relented I, I mean that same sort of pressure is being applied in this situation it 's just we 'll see how it plays out
1: yeah but and, and just quickly, there's was the same response that Montreal gave that Arizona gave immediately following the draft as we 're going to mentor this player we 're going to reach out to the the community that 's been affected by this we 're going to do the right things he 'll be a spokesperson he 'll apologize. Both teams said that. It's just at this point, Montreal has not rescinded their comments, their press release, and their draft pick. And knowing a franchise like that, that's not going to happen. I mean, the kid's coming there. I don't see this the Montreal Canadiens being in a position to ever rescind this draft pick.
2: Uh, Jarby asks Craig specifically, Craig, so you better answer this. Now that we're in full rebuild and most of the Coyotes on ice investments are in the prospect pool, can we expect expanded coverage of the road runners and major juniors coming up on AZ? <laughs> major major Junior. juniors. Major hey, juniors. Wow.
0: Wow. wow.
2: Get on the I road. Know, I don't know fly. about
0: traveling to, uh, those leagues, yeah. but yeah. and Moose Jaw
1: this weekend. Okay. i like it. I like it. Actually, that's a great idea.
0: Yeah. You, you in the freight? Yeah. Pink let's see. You know. Red Deer and <laughs> Winkler,
1: Manitoba in February. Wow. I just love
0: it. <laughs> Sounds great. But, yeah, some more runners, features, I think, are in order. So, yeah, and ASU something. is
1: going to get a little more coverage, I would assume, Craig. Not that you don't cover ASU.
0: That's not a fair statement because yeah, you do. It's like playing there now. So. But I
1: think with a Coyote's prospect, you might see a little eye on the on the Sun Devils.
0: Second half of Jarby Crashes question, one I sent to you guys earlier because it was hilarious. Does Bill Armstrong deserve some credit for neutralizing the two greatest threats to young Yannick's life? By acquiring Boko Mama and Liam O'Brien. I think it's cl- clever problem solving. What were the vicious beatings he and himself at the hands of these two last season? I don't, I don't think I even need to answer. That's just a funny, funny question.
1: But the truth is, Yannick, the way he plays, I, I, I mean, he he makes people angry. He does yeah. a lot of the Michael Bunting things where he doesn't know when to turn that engine off sometimes. And it, it puts him in situations he probably shouldn't be in. Um, so now – Yann Yanik just got two inches taller with those guys in his lineup. He got a lot tougher with those guys on the ice with him.
2: Um, Nandan asks about Jay Beagle. What, any any insight on where we're going to see, if we're going to see him much this season? I think we'll see
0: him. And I've heard he's a terrific guy to deal with, too. So I'm looking forward to good quotes because I've heard he's he's good in that department.
1: Yeah, he's going to fill a lot of roles. I think you're going to see a lot of players, especially these veteran guys, having to fill different roles throughout the lineup on any given night. He's a guy that can play up and down the lineup. He's going to be a hardworking guy. Fans are going to like him. He can defend. I mean, his offense, you know, I don't know if he's going to be the offensive crafty guys that people are looking for, but he's going to defend and he's going to play hard. And I think that's going to be the mantra of this veteran group is going to be a group that's going to play the right way and they're going to play hard. And I think fans actually will really like Jay Beagle. So we'll see how it progresses, you know, what kind of ice time and where he slots in on lines um, as the season goes on. But I expect him
2: to move up and down the lineup. Well, we'll wrap it here. Sorry, we didn't get to all the questions. I know Craig's got to take off. I will ask this though, both of you separately. Uh now just because the, the covering Major Junior in the winter brought this up. Were you both on that extensive bus ride? Was it from Montreal to Ottawa or Ottawa to Montreal a couple of years ago? It was Ottawa to Montreal, and yes, I was on that bus ride. PD right. was of there too. Right? Was yeah.
1: I tell you what though, and I just, we we're on the plane, seatbelts buckled, going to be a forty five minute flight. <laughs>
0: And, we were that way for 45 minutes, by the and way. And we were plane. told,
1: <laughs> no plane, plane's broken, get on a bus for two-plus hours in the middle of the night in a snowstorm in the cold. And be, honestly, we almost didn't leave uh, Montreal after that. The plane, several days to get fixed. There were talks of us busing to the States. It was a mess. Those are the things I missed, Craig. That's what I missed right there. You, yeah. you, we joke about it, and, and at the time, it was absolute misery hated yeah. every second of it. I just wanted to go to bed. But now that I'm removed from those stories, those are the things I miss. You know, in Edmonton, when we couldn't fly and we all had to find hotel rooms because the Mark Messier thing ran too long, you know, those things, yeah. Or would make that league great and
0: making that Montreal crowd. Hotel, buddy. How about that Montreal Hotel? That is yeah. as good as it gets. It
1: has the best feature in the league. Can I say it
0: on air? Yeah, we, we. I think we've talked about it before. So go the ahead. Bidet,
1: the yeah. heated yeah. seat bidet.
0: <laughs> it's more than a bidet, buddy. The
1: <laughs> best toilet in the National Hockey League. And if get, people people want to mock <laughs> that, if you want to mock that, then you clearly have not tried using the restroom at two in the morning when it's twenty below outside
2: and have a heated seat. You guys wow. could have done the washer if, and dryer. If you were doing, <laughs> if you were doing the, uh, the podcast back then, you guys could have recorded one on the bus. That so would have been great. Just in the moment. <laughs> oh,
1: uh, yeah, And you know what, Craig, sometime I, I keep waiting for there to be a downtime this summer where there's not a story. You know, I, I was hoping that we could have podcasts like this where we could talk about those type of things or we could talk about Cardero's or my favorite restaurants on the road. Those type of stories. And every week these darn coyotes do something else and we don't get to do that. We've got to talk hockey. Uh, frustrations
2: it's a rarity on this podcast that we would actually talk hockey that's way up way up since jamie left all right i know that's gonna do it for us for steve peters for craig morgan i'm luke Lipinski. thanks for listening to the natural hat trick podcast